This podcast contains sexual themes and is intended for open-minded adults. If you're under the age of 18, you should stop listening now. You're listening to Sharing is Caring. In this podcast, we talk openly about our journey into the lifestyle, about opening our relationship and our lives to a whole new way of thinking. Come and share our adventures into sex positivity and ethical non-monogamy. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 17 of Sharing is Caring. I'm Kiwi. And I'm Sherry. I know last show we said we would have a more sexy episode for you this time, but instead we have something more interesting. We've got something where we can learn. So with us today, we've got an excellent guest. We have someone who was, I guess, my best friend since I've moved over to London, and she has got a really interesting story for us. So with us today, we have Ramona. Hey, hi everyone. Usually that's the point when like you read out someone's credentials and you talk about their background and everything that makes them important. But I guess we did, right? And we said, oh, you're my friend. That's your credentials. Yeah, that's all there is to me. I am Kiwi's accessory to life in London. Tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you? How do you identify? What are your pronouns? So I identify as a non-binary woman and I prefer the uh, pronouns she and they. Still on a little bit of a journey of my personal sexuality, to be honest. Sort of somewhere on the ace spectrum, uh, possibly a little bit bisexual. Learning a lot about myself. You need to explain for our listeners what the ace spectrum. Asexuality is if you don't inherently feel a sexual attraction to other people. So you can still be aroused, uh, you can still experience arousal and enjoy sexual activity. Some people really don't enjoy sexual activity, but the key of being asexual is um, if you are not inherently attracted to a certain type or gender or sex of person, you're just sort of separate to it. So does that mean you don't experience sexual attraction at all? Um, It's part of a journey for me, I think, in that I'm still learning a lot about it. I think it's intersected quite interestingly with my vaginismus, which is, interestingly, our topic for today. And how about uh, romantic attraction? Um, Yeah, definitely still experience romantic attraction and definitely enjoy uh, playing and sexual experiences with other people, as well as, um, obviously, friendships and everything else. Do you want to introduce our episode for today? Well, I guess I've already jumped the shark on that one, but um, <laughs> there's a condition called vaginismus that I've got, and I'm going to read the NHS website explanation of it just so we can be proper formal about it. So vaginismus is the body's automatic reaction to the fear of some or all types of vaginal penetration. Whenever penetration is attempted, your vaginal muscles tighten up on their own. You have no control over it. Occasionally, you can get vaginismus even if you've previously enjoyed painless penetrative sex. However, vaginismus does not necessarily affect your ability to get aroused and enjoy other types of sexual contact. Which is in line with what you were saying about being aroused. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think one of the key things is, as I'm sure you guys are more than aware with all the different types of play you've had with so many different people, is sex is not just penetrative it's not just penis in vagina vaginismus i hate saying sufferers that's a terrible way to put it people that have the condition of vaginismus can still enjoy sex in all of its wonderful forms aside from the penetration aspect so how do you refer to vaginismus is it a condition uh yeah it's a psychosexual condition is the technical term in that it's a weird mix of no one's quite sure what it is yet so it's a mix of physical because uh, as the explanation said your muscles tighten up and basically go, no, nothing's allowed in. 
but the cause of that is most likely um, something that's psychological, uh, could be tied to mental health. Um, there's been some potential links with anxiety or past traumas, especially sexual traumas, but that's not true for everyone. It's still very much a kind of unknown quantity and all we really see is the sort of um, symptoms of that. So is the pain attached to vaginismus purely when you try and or when penetration is attempted when your muscles are tensed or is there pain from the tensing of muscles themselves? No pain from the tensing of muscles that I experience. It might be different for other people. It's purely um, basically when you try and put something in there, the muscles aren't really happy that you're trying to shove something in. They're essentially trying to protect the vagina because it thinks something bad's about to happen to it. Um, so it's the pain from trying to force your way in effectively because you should never really force something into your body. How did you come to realize that you have vaginismus? Uh, took quite a few years, actually. I'd had ooh, about four or five boyfriends by this point, been act sexually active since I was about 17, 18. And it was only when uh, one of my sexual partners, when I was 22, pointed out that I'd seem to act in a way that not that I wasn't ready for penetrative sex, but he seemed to feel as if there might actually be something that's actually um, wrong with me in terms of the way I was feeling about it, the way I spoke about it and described it. It wasn't just this fear of, oh, I'm, I'm not ready yet. I want to wait to the right moment. There was something possibly physical about it. So he recommended I go to a doctor. How did he broach that? Did he say, I think there's something wrong with you? <laughs> Or was he a bit more tactful than that? No, he was much more tactful. I'd had previous partners who had just gone, there's something wrong with you, you need to fix yourself. Um, and honestly, I kind of responded to that with going, no, there's nothing wrong with me, leave me alone. And I sort of dug myself in and didn't face my issues. So um, this partner that was a lot more respectful kind of went, I'm worried about you. Um, you know, if you're not ready, that's fine. But it feels like there's something else there. And it could be some physical symptom that is causing this anxiety for you. So it's worth getting checked out. Because some women, for example, uh, just if their hymen is quite thick and struggles to break can be a source of pain. So he kind of suggested maybe it's something like that, that could be an easy fix. So it's worth going to get checked out just to be sure. He sounds like he's a lot more aware than a lot of 22-year-old men and uh, yeah. someone who is <laughs> losing their virginity. Yeah, definitely. A lot of guys and a lot of, well, a lot of people I've spoken to kind of aren't that aware. There's, I think, a bit of a perception that sex is painful for women or can be. Um, so I think a lot of people don't realise there's issues there until they kind of look at it under a different lens. I don't know how you guys experience that and if sex is always this lovely, wonderful, pleasurable thing for you. For me, it's perfect and magical every time. <laughs> Uh, for me as a woman who's the one getting penetrated most of the time, I have to say that I've had painful sex and it's not something I get every time, but it's not something that I never get anymore, even though uh, losing my virginity was now quite a few years ago. The first time was quite painful, the first penetration it itself, not, not the whole intercourse, just a penetration at the start, to the point that I cried. But I cried mo more out of disappointment than the pain because I was mm. so sure it was going to go smoothly because I, I had been wearing tampons for years. I, I was not that young. I was 18 when I had f sex for the first time. Uh, so tampons for years. I had been doing horse riding and ballet. So uh, the gynecologist had told me that my hymen was... I can't remember if she said that it was quite flexible or something. 
And I assumed that sex the first time wouldn't hurt. So I was just so disappointed. But on the first night, we had sex a second time with no pain at all. So was it partial disappointment that sex was supposed to be this perfect, amazing thing and you thought that you were prepared for it and there wouldn't be pain attached to it at all, but then it was surprised that it was there and it wasn't as perfect losing virginity as you imagined? I don't think I imagined it as perfect, but I was so sure that I wouldn't get the pain. And also the pain was very, very painful. I don't think I've had this since. The first time was really painful. But as Kiwi knows, I've had painful sex since quite a few times with Kiwi, with other guys. Um, I think I have a quite a narrow, well, not narrow, shallow vagina. And if the guy is well endowed, it can hit the cervix. And this is very, very quickly painful to the point that sometimes we have to, we've had to stop sex and sometimes I've had to go to a toilet and I've been sick, physically sick, because of the pain triggered by the painful sex. So there are other kinds of pain that I've experienced, such as being a bit dry, so it's forced a little bit in, so it rubs a little bit too much and the skin is a bit chafed. Or To use more lube? Yeah, you can use more lube. Or maybe sometimes it's just that there was not much soft play before the penetration. And sometimes it can just be that the penetration is lasting for a long time, so it just dries out. So there are different kinds of pain. I think that's what always worried me and why I didn't acknowledge that there was maybe some other problem causing my pain like around sort of sex is because I generally for a while just thought I was a wuss because I've heard that losing virginity can be painful and I attempted it a few times with partners and it hurt and I made them stop. And there was this little horrible secret part of me that was just going what if you're just a wuss and every other woman can deal with the pain because it's not that bad and once you get to the other side it's really really nice which is uh, just a horrible thing to think about yourself I think which is why I didn't push it further I guess which in some ways is good because I'm kind of glad I didn't put even more pain in myself just Mm. by trying to force through but um, I'm sure some women have bless them yeah it's it's hard to deal with when you don't know other people's pain barriers yeah so we spoke about virginity a little bit and Obviously, having vaginismus, you haven't been able to have traditional penetrative sex. How has that changed your relationship to sex and virginity? I have had far too many arguments with relative strangers about whether I've lost my virginity or not. (laughs) 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 I've literally ended up, for some reason, mentioning the vaginismus, and people have said, oh, so you've attempted, so you are a virgin. And then someone else will go, oh, you've only had one and a penis an inch in you. That's not real virginity loss. And it's weird, all the funny technical rules people attach to it. And then suddenly throw in the mix of, okay, what if I was gay? How would I lose my virginity then? There's no penis involved. You need to be touched (laughs) by a sacrosanct penis to lose your virginity only a a real man with a big penis can take it from you (laughs) so yeah i've kind of reached the point where it's like virginity is kind of a silly thing anyway because um I, i get a lot of pity a lot of people when for some reason it comes up in conversation they look quite condescending or really sad for me and they're like oh you know you should you should try sex it's really nice and That's, that sounds really helpful and good of people to contribute to the conversation. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's you know, oh wait, I'm, I'm going to listen to you and that's going to change my life. Thank you for yeah. suggesting this. But what the bizarre thing is is they assume I have no sexual experience at all. Like I think they think I'm this wonderful pure little virgin, if we're going to use that word, that you know has never seen a penis because the idea is scary. Like hell no, I've done a hell of a lot of soft play. <laughs> And I'm very happy and I enjoy that and get a lot of fulfilment with it. And my belief is most of my sexual partners have too. Just that one single act of penetration is not possible. But again, as I'm sure you two are very experienced with, there's plenty of other ways you can have fun. 
And also you uh, have explored a fair bit in the kink scene as well. Yes, definitely. Um, a huge range. And I think part of that is almost thanks to the vaginismus in that in order to kind of get pleasure, I've had to understand different ways you can get it and go about and explore and learn about myself. And um, I think it interestingly can tie into my sort of aceness as well. Personally, I'm quite into bondage. And when I was younger, especially, I researched the self-bondage scene, which to some people's not explicitly sexual it's someone being tied up but for other people it can be so it's interesting when you start kind of to explore all the different ranges around sex and sexual activity what you can actually end up doing to sort of hit the right spot I guess how does it work for you in female masturbation personally uh, really poorly actually the way um, my vaginismus has kind of shown itself is I've actually had quite phobia of even my own vagina pretty much as far back as I can remember so I haven't been that good actually in kind of getting familiar with my body and getting ready to actually know and understand myself which I think in some ways has been a barrier because ultimately you need to know yourself quite well to truly engage with your partner and sort of guide them in the right direction I've been quite reliant on communicating with partners but not necessarily knowing what's good for me myself which is a shame but it's really positive that not all women with vaginismus are like that I have several friends with vaginismus that are absolute pros at hitting the spot Mm. and they just have kind of different battles to fight than me which is actually really helpful to talk to other women about that because it's so great to share those experiences I get tips and advice from them quite a lot and I kind of return the favor with my kink scene advice so um, it's actually really nice and a real privilege to be part of this uh, group of friends basically we've all gathered around the unique identifying factor of we all have the condition of vaginismus mm. but it manifests differently in different people Oh, there's a huge variety. So just in even the way that people feel comfortable engaging with themselves or how they do it. So for example, as I said, I didn't really like touching myself at all. And weirdly, quite a lot of us actually prefer masturbating through underwear just because it kind of alters the sensation. And I think it feels like, I don't know, slightly less intense. For me, it actually is less gooey. And I think some of the the sensitivity of my labia can be quite uh, almost stressful for me at times. So I tend not to deal with that. So I masturbate either with um, with a vibrator or, as I said, through underwear. Whereas there are other girls that are totally happy to get in there and... um, well, really get in there, I guess, the best way in, to say in it. In there, in there. So that means they can put um, a finger, one of their own finger in their vagina, but just not a penis? Yeah, some of them can. Interestingly, some women, it's it's actually the penis that seems to make them worry, not so much the penetration side of it. So as I said earlier, because it's very psychological, there can be several different triggers as to what you can get in and kind of when and how and why. And some of it is familiarity with objects going in there. And some of it is just purely the thought of, oh, I'm not sure I want mm. that in me. So kind of it's, it's a bonus and a curse because it means that everyone's got their own battles to fight, basically. And that what one vaginismus kind of sufferer would have to deal with another one might find really easy but then they'd have their own kind of perceived difficulties so some of them might be using penetrative objects as in when they masturbate or wear tampons and or cups but still not being able to have the penetrative sex i'd say some can use tampons i think cups would probably be a bit too far yeah, for a lot <laughs> but um, yeah it, yeah it depends on the individual and honestly i'm a, i can only speak for myself and the few women i've met so i'm sure there's some women that yeah are probably totally comfortable using a wide range of things but it might just be mm. an actual 
penis entering them that could be a concern so i've brought a little well toys is a very generous way to refer to these today so i've got a bright pink bag with me i don't know why it's nhs prescribed so if i open it up nhs approved nhs approved and what do you have in that bag there they are called dilators so one of the physical therapies to assisting with vaginismus is the idea that maybe your vagina just isn't used to having things entering it. So the idea of dilators is to slowly get used to having the vagina widened up so it seems more natural to have things fit in there. Now the problem with these toys, and there is one, two, three, four, five of them, they are fascinating. So they... I think they're very sexual actually. I was looking at them thinking, apart from the colour, they're quite arousing to me. So oh, wow. to describe what they look like, the the smallest one is it's almost like a butt plug, but it's not flared in any way. It's just completely straight. Yeah. And then there's attachments. Like a finger almost. Yeah, it almost looks like, like a, a pinky finger. finger. Or tampon. With, yeah, it does, a tampon. tampon size. But it does a have a longer. flared base at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And then there's attachments which can fit over top, which are like Russian nesting dolls, but dildos, like Russian nesting dildos. The last one is big. Uh, that is big. If you can get through that the last, last one. The last one is like dick size. It's like a big dick size. Like That's good girth and... That's definitely it's above the average. Uh, it's <laughs> interesting you say that because the largest one is according to NHS average penis sizes, the average penis in the UK. Oh. It's quite long. I've looked into this because I thought it was interesting. And whenever men see, because I've shown a few male friends this because it's, it's an interesting piece of kit. The first thing all men do is compare themselves to <laughs> it. You can see them doing it in, in their eyes. Numbers. The thing is, the NHS has actually never measured any penises. They go off the lengths given to them by men. So they will ask a man. Exactly. So it probably is slightly larger than the true average male penis because I'm I'm sure you're aware men probably have the um, ability to exaggerate a little bit when it comes to such things. It's especially longer than... I think it should be. Men exaggerating the size of their penis? What? <laughs> that would never happen. And there's a little handle with it as well. So what oh. you do is so that you oh, don't have to grip the like end. like an ice cream, like an ice block. You just clip it in. Or like a lightsaber. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. think lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the small one has like a large base so it clips onto the little handle uh. thing. But it's really interesting. You think they look sexy because I think these look terrifying and really unsexy. The colour is not sexy, it's white. It's, it's yeah. cream white? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, they look very clinical to me. Yeah. Um, so I've actually, even though I've had these for about five years now, never felt brave enough to put one in me. Because they just look intimidating. And as I said, I, it's something I very much struggle with anyway. Mm. One thing that... should make them purple. Yeah. Aha, it's like you knew the next thing I was going to bring out. So, um... I have another dilator that I've got from what's called the Shh Woman's Store. I'll do a little plug for them later. No plug. Um, if you send me the <laughs> link, I can put that into the show notes. Yes. So what they've done is they've heard from a lot of uh, women with vaginismus that the NHS, NHS dildos, as I call them, are not particularly inviting. So what they've done at the store, and I love these women so much for this, is they've made a sex toy that happens to be a dilator, which I think is a much healthier way to look at it. So Sherry seems to be having a lot of fun playing with it right now. Sherry, would you like to describe what you can see? Yes. So first of all, it's purple. So that's nice. It's the average width of a tampon. Maybe it's slightly bit larger. It's a soft silicone. The other one was more hard. 
So this one bends and it has a large base. So I guess it's good. You can hold it. Oh, and you have another one that looks like a lipstick. It's a tiny vibrator <gasps> that fits in the bottom uh. of the dilator. So you can actually use it. And it means that you can feel <gasps> it on the tip. Have you been using this? Yes. Because <laughs> vibrations can actually help with relaxation and insertion. Well, I, I know at least from an is. anal perspective. Yeah, definitely. And um, as I said earlier, I masturbate with vibrators naturally anyway. So the fact that it's combined into a toy that honestly I find far less threatening is a massive bonus for me, which is why I just think it's amazing the product that they've made. Good vibrations as well. <laughs> we can put a link to that exact model in the show notes as well, as well as to the woman store. Thank you for showing us those. Yeah, that was cool. So you've mentioned how this has affected your previous sexual relationships or romantic relationships. How about the effect of vaginismus for you outside of the bedroom? I'm asking that because it seems that anything involving genitals seems to be immediately sexualized. So I want to shift the focus away from that a little bit. Yeah, that's massively true. It feels very personal to tell someone you have vaginismus because most people's first thought is, oh, why are you telling me about your vagina? That's used for sex. But there's so many other aspects to it. Part of it is just general gender identity and being comfortable with your own body. I think it's sad not to feel happy and confident in yourself. And as I said earlier, there's some kind of mental health aspects in that I think a lot of women that have it, at least in um, my circle of friends and experience, is a lot of us have anxiety. Now, it could be a bit of a chicken and egg scenario. Does the vaginismus contribute to anxiety or does anxiety contribute to, to vaginismus? We don't know. But it's something that can just affect your life in general, going to work and going about your business. And then especially when there's pressure on things around sex, like the assumption that everyone else is having great penetrative sex, if all your friends talk about it, or especially when things like a pregnancy and having children starts to be discussed, it can actually bring quite a lot of stress on people. So I actually have one friend who amazingly has been with her partner for, I think, four or five years now. They've been married for four or five years. They're both totally happy not having penetrative sex because she's got vaginismus and they found their own way and they're really happy. And I think it's fantastic that they're happy like that. But then the problem is they've decided they'd like to have children. And so obviously the natural way to do it is not possible for them. So the fantastic fact is you can still get pregnant through using a syringe. Mm. And because she's been working on her vaginismus and can reach a syringe in there, they're actually managing to do it still like naturally, not having to go through um, like test tube babies or anything and conceiving kind of not the typical penetrative way, <laughs> no. um, which is really cool. There's still penetration, but it's, again, not a penis. Yeah, yeah, not quite as big. She said she had to find the tiniest syringe she could to get it up there, <laughs> which I can't imagine is a lot of fun, so fair play. But for other women that don't feel that they can manage that or it's a bit of a struggle to be constantly asked by, especially like friends and relatives, so when are the kids coming? It can be quite a lot of pressure. I guess any woman who gets married gets this question. Yeah, definitely. So that that's a pain. Whether you want kids or not, whether you have vaginismus or not, you'll get asked a question as a woman. And potentially as a man as well, but I don't think it's quite as bad. What definitely not quite as much. Yeah. And there's not the same expectation on you. Yeah. Because I expect for me to be like, yes, I want kids. I love kids. When actually, uh... And uh, people always say, oh, the biological clock's ticking when you're going to. Whereas for a man, there isn't really much of a biological clock. No. Yeah. And my mum seems to be hurrying me really fast, even though I'm mid-twenties. And she's going, when are you going to give me grandkids? Not only do I not currently have a long-term partner, she knows about my vaginismus. So it's 
honestly quite hurtful when she keeps asking me when I'm going to deliver this thing that isn't currently physically possible for me. You know, maybe one day. I'd, I'd like to have kids. That's actually one of the main reasons I want to uh, deal with the vaginismus and have penetrative sex. Not because I feel like I'm missing out on penetrative sex. I'm actually quite happy with my sex life as it is and think it's fantastic. It's because it would be quite nice to one day be able to naturally conceive children, which is quite a difficult long-term motivator when you're sat there with a really scary looking dilate <laughs> and trying to be brave enough to put it in and think don't worry jimmy will be thanking you in 20 years <laughs> i'm just picturing you at home dilator sitting in front of you bottle of wine in one hand like, all right let's do this <laughs> you need to do it while listening to my dad wrote a porn or something sexy <laughs> that, that's not that's, that's not, not sexy, sexy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how you, you go about it when you try with the directors, but do you try to put yourself in the mood? Do you find that watching porn can help or at all, or not at all? It's more I found that I need to give myself space. So it's sort of like, I don't know, when you're thinking about personal development or doing something that's challenging or difficult, you know, normally when you're horny and want to have a little bit of fun, you're not thinking, do you know what, I'm going to you know get on that to-do list so it's usually when I have kind of a chill afternoon a lot of space and time on my hands and I just think do you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna try and push myself today and kind of give it a go so personally I made the uh, had the personal victory of actually being able to touch myself and kind of just explore my own external genitalia for the first time in my life uh, literally about a month ago which was really momentous for me which is kind of sad because I feel like I should be a lot more familiar with my body and that it's taken so long is a shame but at the same time that was you know 10 years of hard work in the making and I feel I can keep going from there so it's making the time and the space and I think just weirdly a little bit of quiet time to kind of have a look what's down there rather mm. than being particularly excitable. Yeah. And how about someone else touching your external genitalia? Like when you had a, a partner long term or not, is that something mm. that you could deal with or any hand down there, whether it was inside or not, you just couldn't? Weirdly, I love it when other people touch me down there. I think <laughs> it's like almost a disconnect of that I I'm not familiar with my own body and that freaked me out. It's not the generally very pleasant sensations I get when other people touch me, which I think is why I managed to put it off for so long because when I was in a relationship with partners, it unless they specifically wanted penetrative sex, it was never a strong problem because otherwise I had, I guess, what most people would consider as quite a regular sex life. Most mm. soft play was possible. Uh, I had to be gentle with fingering. I couldn't take a lot, but partners have been able to get fingers inside me a little way if I'm in the right mood and I'm sort of wet enough. How about things like tampons or appointments with a gynecologist? Has it impacted that at all? Oh, massively. Um, I've never been able to use a tampon. Just too terrified of the idea. Honestly, until I had my play around last month, I didn't actually know where my own vagina was because it just seemed too scary to have a look honestly so I wouldn't know where to put a tampon if <laughs> I had to yeah visits to well I first visit to the gynecologist was to identify the uh, vaginismus and she could just about open me a little bit and I was in so much pain she kind of went yep vaginismus okay here's some advice and wrote me the prescription a lot of problem that women with vaginismus face is smear tests oh yeah is because so you need to get a speculum in in the first place so if you can't get anything in your vagina you're not going to get a speculum in your vagina it's essentially like a dilator because it's one of those things i'm aware i should be doing luckily i'm quite low risk personally i have heard of cases where women with vaginismus who are high risk have actually been put under so that they can actually mm. access her vagina and swipe which obviously is quite a lot of stress for everyone involved so the only other time i've been someone that's I had a look at my vagina was I went to an STD clinic to just to get checked out be a sensible person and I asked them for help
help because they handed me a chlamydia test and they were like just swabbing your vagina is fine and I had to explain several times to the receptionist that's not possible can the doctor help she sent me through to the doctor anyway who then asked why I didn't do it myself so I explained it again and that time she did kindly go oh okay let's have a look and all she did was gently open the uh, outer lips of my vagina and it felt like she'd stabbed me. I screamed and started crying and she was thoroughly surprised at my response because um, I don't know if she hadn't experienced anyone with vaginismus before or maybe I was quite extreme, but that was really quite awkward and not very pleasant. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the big myths or misconceptions that you've encountered about vaginismus? I think the main one is, as I mentioned earlier, it's this assumed naivety of, oh, you must not have done any sex ever then. <laughs> which, um, as silly as I said, there's uh, it's one thing I really like about this podcast is you guys specifically refer to it as soft play rather than foreplay because so many people assume that what I do isn't proper sex, even though I get great pleasure from it. I guess another one would be that it's incurable or that I'm undateable because it's this, uh, what man would date you if he can't put his penis in you, which I think uh, shows men in a poor light when actually I've had loads of fantastic partners that have been really supportive and it's not been a problem. And it's any woman out there that's, you know, dealing with this condition, don't let assholes like that put you down because I just kind of see it as a red flag from the upfront. If someone hears that you have the, you're struggling with this issue, and they're not interested in helping you with it well then they obviously were only with you for one thing and they're not worth your time so Mm. send them away i i agree actually it's it's to be said for a lot of men i mean i didn't have vaginismus or anything like you but i never had an orgasm before i met kiwi and uh, most guys when i would start dating them whether I was with them for a few months or up to two, three years, they were like, oh, it'll be different with me. I'll give you an orgasm. And then they would they would try a little bit for maybe six months and then they'll be like, oh, yeah, you, you, they can't be bothered after a while because the, it's too complicated for them. It's too much effort. And I'm still having sex with them. So in the end, they're getting their orgasms. I'm not, but what the fuck, it doesn't affect them. But then when I met Kiwi, he was really intent on making me discover orgasms by using vibrators. So that, that worked on me and it was such a revelation. And I thought, oh my God, I'm, I was in my 30s when I had my first orgasm. And how many years I've wasted not having them <laughs> <laughs> and how little effort those guys before did. Well, admittedly, it's my body. It's up to me to, to discover myself. But we have mentioned this a little bit, but female masturbation is not really put forward. It's a bit more shameful for women to talk about female masturbation, whereas men uh, more readily talk about having a cheeky wank. Um, So I think that's probably something that didn't help me, the fact that it was so taboo. So I didn't masturbate. Or when I tried, I just would get a bit wet, put something in my vagina and be like, yeah, that's fine. But didn't realize that I had to go about by the clitoris. Anyway, so I see what you mean about men not being very understanding and just being selfish. Not wanting to put the time in. Yeah. So, Ramona, you mentioned that uh, one of the big misconceptions is that it's incurable. So what can people do and what resources are there to help people? There's, it's interesting, there's not loads that formally, honestly. Um, It can be quite difficult to get assistance from the NHS because in uh, today's uh, environment, uh, mental health is difficult to support. There's not the funding or the research out there. So usually, unless you're kind of quite high priority, it can be difficult to um, find counselling on the NHS. So there's ways and means. If you're lucky and you've got the right doctor or the right kind of council area, you might be able to get psychosexual counselling to assist with it. 
or if you're privileged enough to have the money, um, any form of counselling, but in particular psychosexual counselling can be very helpful. As I said, I've got my gorgeous set of vaginal dilators from the NHS and you can also purchase variants from other companies such as the Shush Woman's Store. And another thing that several friends have recommended is physiotherapy. Again, it's quite hard to get on the NHS because you actually go to the physiotherapist and they put their fingers in your vagina and slowly get you used to being opened up which apparently they actually guide you through familiarity of control of your own vagina and you understand what bit they're touching and what that does and how it affects it. And so I've heard that can be very, very effective. So one of the things that I found most helpful in the last six months and has brought me on an amazing journey is a load of friends I met through the Vaginismus Network. So it's a small network started by Lisa McKenzie and Kat Wilson who co-founded it a few years ago. They both have experienced uh, vaginismus themselves and they've gone through a full journey and they're uh, very happy and content in the way they are now. And they arrange events up and down the country, I believe, just to get women who deal with vaginismus all in the same room to talk about it, find support and solace, and just sort of find some people to relate to because it just really makes you realise that you aren't alone and there's so many people in the same boat, which is fantastic. And I've met some amazing, amazing women through it. So if you Google uh, Vaginismus Network or go on to their Instagram or Twitter, which I believe is both Vaginismus Network. If you send me a link, I'll put them into the show notes as well. Yep, we'll do that. But also talking to, yeah, friends or if you have that relationship, family with it and just building up a support network of your own. Because at the end of the day, I think a lot of it is mental health and kind of a permanent kind of version of self-care like sherry is a vagina owner kind of what things do you do regularly to sort of self-care and make sure you're looking after your body as well i've had a tendency to have a lot of utis after sex uh, mm. penetrative sex in that case because the urethra gets open during sex and some bacteria can migrate and go into the urethra and then go to the bladder and then you get a uti i should say urinary tract infection and i found that Drinking lemon juice really helped with changing the pH of the urine and um, stopped the infections from coming. It was very interesting, actually, how we came across that. That was when we were on holiday in Croatia and yeah. we didn't have any of the correct medication with us. Yeah. And you started to uh, get a bit of a tingle like you had a UTI. So we frantically searched around for what could help with that. Yeah. So we found that either drinking lemon juice or using bicarb soda helped change the pH of the urine. And I went on a frenzy of drinking lemon juice three times a day. And in, the min and in between that, drinking um, a spoonful of bicarb soda in a glass of water. And it just got rid of the infection. Yeah, faster than wow. usually some of the over-the-counter sachets. Yeah, because the over-the-counter sachets do the same thing. They just change the pH of the urine. They're not antibiotics. Not that we're recommending using natural treatments rather than prescribed medication. No, no, no of course not. But I found that just drinking a, drinking a bit of lemon juice, not necessarily just after sex, but maybe the morning after, has been enough to fend off the infections. You haven't had one for a long, long time. Yes, that's amazing. Oh, I'm so happy about that because they're really a pain. My, my GP sur surgery is really good because if I have symptoms, I can just pee in a test tube, bring it to the surgery. They do a dip test. And if it's positive, they can prescribe antibiotics to me directly. And I don't have to book an appointment and wait a few days because when it gets painful, when you pee, it can become awful like pee, you're peeing razors. 
for those who are also in the UK, I think Boots does uh, the same service now where they will test for UTIs on the spot. But in terms of the rest of the body care, just going to the gym regularly, being careful about what I eat, what I consume in general, very little alcohol, um, only for special occasions, and trying to accept myself as I am. That's really helped actually in feeling better about myself. It's interesting what you're saying about um, P-tests of UTIs as well, because there was a recent BBC article about um, using P-tests to identify STIs in the future as well, mm. which for some people might just seem like a minor convenience. But yeah, for people that have vaginismus, it suddenly means it's a hell of a lot easier and mm. less stressful for me to get tested for any STIs, which is interesting because actually that is another myth that I get, even weirdly from the sexual clinic I went to, which is that people that don't have penetrative sex can't have STIs. STIs because of course the STIs come from fluids which depending on what you're doing can still spread to your any area of your vagina through any other different activities mm. so it's something that even if you're not having penetrative sex it's still wise to be careful about yeah even skin on skin contact is enough yeah and also careful with pregnancy with that you never know that's why I got laughed at actually because I've got the contraceptive implant and that's why the other reason I went to that clinic is to get the implant replaced and the doctor had heard that I'd the day before been there and not been able to have anything put in my vagina and she kind of laughed and said why are you getting this if you don't need it which is double fold is as you said there is other potential ways to get pregnant sperm is pretty resilient but also while I'm trying to get over my fear of penetrative sex I'd kind of like to not have another background thought of another oh layer. No, what if I get pregnant yeah better safe than sorry yeah exactly mm. so are there any final thoughts or remarks you'd like our listeners to know uh, I guess the main thing is for any people dealing with vaginismus is don't let it affect your self-esteem. You can have a fantastic, happy life and an amazing sex life without penetrative sex and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. That's great. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank and, you guys for having me on. And we really appreciate you speaking so openly and honestly. I think a lot of people will appreciate hearing your story and hopefully be able to relate to some of the things that you have said and that'll make them feel a bit more comfortable about their own bodies and their own journey that they're going on. I hope so. So how can people reach you? So the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter, where my username is at notsheath. For those of you not in the know, vagina is from the same root as the Latin word for the word sheath, because uh, most people assume that vaginas are for putting things in, but um, not always, as we've discussed today. <laughs> So if people want to get in touch with Sherry or I, you can get in contact with us on Twitter. We are at Kiwi and Sherry, that's all one word. You can email us at kiwiandsherry at gmail.com. You can go to our website, www.sharingiscaringpodcast.com. And you can also find us on Fab Swingers and Spicy Match as Sharing is Caring Podcast. Space between the words on Fab and dashes on Spicy Match. Also, if you aren't on Spicy Match, we recommend that you check it out. What's more, if you use the referral code, sharing is caring, you'll get three months premium for free. Yay. So thanks for your amazing reviews and ratings. We really appreciate them. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave us a rating or a review. And that's how we know you're actually enjoying the show. And finally, thanks for listening to this episode of Sharing is Caring. We've got another great interview lined up soon, plus another episode where we talk about one of our previous experiences and what we learned. Spoiler alert! I might have had a little bit too much to drink. Over to our guest. And remember, sharing is caring. Kinky.
Kinky sex. Kinky sex. <laughs> Third time lucky? Yeah. Why? Kinky sex. <laughs> you have to be knighted by a penis. <laughs> so if I'm kind of feeling a little bit horny and have a cheeky wank, I'm not usually in the mood to push myself. <laughs> I don't... I d- what are you Sorry. laughing at? Cheeky wank? <laughs> I'm feeling a bit horny and have a cheeky wank. <laughs> <laughs> That's you on a daily basis, Kiwi. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> Stop talking like a robot. <laughs> I'm a robot. <laughs>